So a couple of weeks ago, this horrible question crossed my mind, which was this. Is Christmas more about spending or saving? And as I searched my own soul when this question popped into my conscience, I was ashamed that my first response to that question was a purely economic one. I first thought about dollars and cents when this question popped up in my spirit. And I think for most of us as North Americans, truth be told, um, we probably do a little more time thinking about spending than saving this time of year, do we not? Or we think about economic things first. This is why there's long lines at the local malls this time of year and very short lines to make a deposit at a bank in December. Right? Um, Pre-COVID, we used to live very close to a Chase ATM. I remember one December I went to withdraw a little bit of cash back in the days when we actually still used cash. And this ATM was empty. Like on December 10. I'm guessing there has never been an ATM that was like too full of dollars right, in December? Because Christmas, it turns out for many of us in our part of the world, is more about spending than saving. After feeling bad about myself for just a little bit, knowing myself, I flipped this upside down and thought, this is true from my human point of view. But from God's point of view, is Christmas more about spending or saving? And the answer that occurred to me is totally both. Spending great amounts of love and saving anybody who would have it. 100% spending from God's point of view, 100% saving from God's point of view. I'm going to read a few verses from a little book in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, which bears the name of Titus. I don't think I've ever read from the book of Titus at a Christmas service, um, but our church for this year is walking in step with something called the lectionary, and sometimes it gives us little gifts from the Bible that we would not have chosen for ourselves, but help us keep right on track with Jesus' story. And here's God's word for us today. Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. That's a pretty great way of sharing the good news of what Christmas is all about. When the Bible uses that word saved, it means a wide range of things. Saving in the Bible means healing. It means being rescued. It means receiving the gift of freedom. It it means all of those things in salvation all wrapped up into one. And God's gift of salvation is being broadcast all over the planet right now. I think it's kind of like a radio signal. A little later when we start broadcasting on 104.9 right here, if you turn, if you tune in a radio to that frequency, you will be able to hear it crystal clear. But if you turn on your radio and go to the AM dial, you won't hear it. Or if you go to 88.9 or 101.3, you won't hear it. But that doesn't mean that (laughs) that frequency isn't there, right? God is looking for people who have ears to hear the frequency of the message that he is broadcasting loud and crystal clear, not over only over the Bethlehem skies, but over the entire planet now. And the message is this. 
He saves us. He desires to rescue, to give true freedom, and to save. When I hear that message, I kind of think some more questions. Why? Why would God do this? And how? How does he accomplish this? And in this little book of Titus, those questions get answered immediately. He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Why did he send Jesus? Why did he save us? Because of any awesome thing that any of us in this room did? Because you're so good at your job? Because you lived 2021 just like an awesome saint, even though our circumstances and times are hard? No. (laughs) Not because of anything that any man, woman, or child ever did but because of his great mercy. That's God's motivation. How did he do it? He accomplished this, this gift of salvation, by washing our past away, by washing our mistakes away, by washing our built-in fractures and foibles and sins and errors and troublemaking nature by putting that all into the sea of forgetfulness. That's how he accomplished it, And just like Jesus was born in a humble stable and laid in a manger, the way it works is that Jesus would, by his Holy Spirit, use your spirit like a manger. Use your soul like a stable, that he would come humbly and in a small, earthy sort of way and begin a new life right from inside of you. 140 years ago, there was um, an Englishman, a clergyman actually, named Bishop Westcott. He uh, taught at the University of Cambridge in England, and he had a cheeky student, this is in the year about 1880, who came up to him and asked, Professor, this was in a time of uh, spiritual revival, Professor, are you in fact saved? Now, Bishop Westcott, I mean, he was a bishop, right? And he's a theology professor, and one of his students maybe even a teenager, is asking this professor, are you saved? Fair enough. Being, having a bunch of degrees behind your name doesn't mean that Jesus is living inside you. Bishop Westcott said this, and the student was so taken with his reply, he wrote it down. I, I in fact, know that I have been saved. And I believe that I am currently being saved And I hope, by the grace of God, that I shall be saved. And Bishop Westcott went on to quote three tenses of a Greek verb to this young student. Hopefully not to show off, but a little bit to put him in his place. Which demonstrates that in the Bible, being saved is spoken about in the past, in the present tense, and in the future. Like, that's how big of a thing. So if a modern Christian says, like, hey man, are you saved? You need to get saved. Like, it would be great to reply with the same answer. Like, what are you talking about? In the past? Right now? In the future? Here's how the work of Jesus is accomplished. Not only can we say, I have been saved, because God, literally through Jesus and the sacrifice of his son, is able to erase our past mistakes and sins, that is 100% true. Does anybody need that kind of salvation today? Anybody ever done anything in the past that causes you 
anxiety, regret, that you replay in your mind, that you have trouble shaking. Like, God wants to save you from that burden and release you from it. The second dimension. God, through Jesus, desires to save us in the here and now. So that it's not just that we have a clear track record and then can do whatever we want from there on out, but that God starts something, and just like Jesus grew from a baby into a fearless, brave adult, that God would grow that same kind of courageous, righteous life inside of you. It's a very close equation, salvation and freedom. And sometimes as Americans, we can think that freedom means getting to do just what we jolly well want to do. Has anyone ever been tempted to think that's what freedom means? <laughs> Especially here in the United States of America. I will do what I want to do, thank you very much, and if you contradict me, look out. That is not what biblical freedom means. Jesus sets us free in the here and now, not to do what we want, but he sets us free to hear his voice and then to do the will of God. That is what it means to be a free, adult, brave Christian person. Not to do whatever you want to do, but to know that you still have a broken, cracked nature, but that you are truly free when you follow the whisper, the guidance of the Holy Spirit who is still speaking and leading and shepherding and guiding to this day. Does anybody need that kind of salvation? Sitting here today, any extra leading, any extra guidance through the confusing life that we are living right here and now? Lord have mercy, I need it. And by the grace of God, there is still one more dimension of salvation. And it is a forward-looking salvation. In the future, we are going to be totally and completely rescued, healed, set free, and saved, saved, saved. Here's the way that it is described in this little letter to Titus. He saved us so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And this, friends, is a trustworthy saying. There's not very many times where the Bible seeks to self-validate itself, but this is one of the times. Like, just in case you're wondering, the Bible says about itself, this is a trustworthy saying. You are saved in the past, you are being saved in the present, and you are going to be saved for an eternal life. Now, sometimes we get confused by the, by the difference of eternal and everlasting. Sometimes we think, like, it's a salvation that is never going to end. Like, it never expires. Like, that's true, but that's what the word everlasting means. And just because things are everlasting doesn't mean they're good, right? Has the pandemic seemed everlasting at this point? Yes, <laughs> right? And it's, it's not been the best of times. But when God promises eternal life, that eternal adjective is speaking to the quality of the life, that it is so durable and strong and undefeatable that no one can take it away from you when God gives you that gift. And because it is so durable and undefeatable, it is going to last forever as well. 
This is the kind of life that God wants to start in you. Not some kind of two-bit, slight improvement sort of life, but an amazing, full-on body and soul salvation that can never be taken away. Does anybody desire that kind of life? Friends, this is why we light candles on a night like this. Because we are still hoping. We are still hoping for these things. And with a pledge and good faith, we are being called to wait bravely and expectantly until God completes what only he can do. Like a watchman waiting for the light of morning. So in just a moment, we are going to light candles. If you happen to get one of these on the way in, you can take it out now. You don't need to turn it on yet. In fact, if yours is on, please switch it off for a moment. We are going to light these candles as a confident sign that we believe that even our eyes will see the promises of God come true in the land of the living. We are going to light these candles in good hope that the Lord is our light and our salvation. We do not light candles as some kind of last gasp in a world that is full of darkness. In fact, if there is a dark room and you just crack a door open and light streams in through that crack of the door into the darkened room, even a glimmer of light is enough to light up the room and cast shadows into the dark places. That is how the work of God works in this troubled world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we light these candles tonight in confidence that the light of Christ has saved us, is currently saving us, and will indeed completely save us, and salvation is exactly what we need. I invite you in a moment of quiet to bring to your own mind or spirit some part of the darkness of this world or the trouble that's either coming from outside of you or maybe coming from inside of you. And then imagine that the light of Christ is going to break like a wave over your particular darkness. If you are feeling especially bold, I invite you to name whatever is that problem or trouble that you need particular saving from today as you switch on your candle. Will you pray with me a moment? Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. Lord Jesus, tonight, in these days, be our light and our salvation. Lord Jesus, we would find our eternal freedom in you. Amen.